Okay, welcome back to the D2C Slingshot podcast. I'm joined here with Brendan Gillen today, one of the top 50 ranked persons in e-commerce. And you just want to give yourself a quick introduction. Uh, yeah, awesome. Thanks for that. Uh, yeah, so uh, Brendan here. I've been in e-commerce for around 15 years. Uh, and yeah, I've been ranked in the top 50 in e-commerce three times in Australia now. So I'm pretty pumped about that. I uh, run my own e-commerce brands and I run a coaching and training company to help emerging e-commerce store owners scale to over a million dollars a year. Yeah, cool. So do you want to quickly touch on your previous experience in running your own e-commerce brand and how you got to that stage where you're ranked in the top 50 in Australia? Yeah, right. Uh, so I'll head back. It'll show my age a little bit now, but uh, 15 years ago, I think, well, maybe 13 years ago, I'm not that, maybe I'm not that old, but um, <laughs> I was running my own digital agency and we're doing SEO work for people. And uh, and one of our clients came in and they had an online store and I started working with them and they were selling golf equipment. And uh, I really enjoyed doing that and we're doing some SEO for them. We did a site rebuild, we did lots of things as a small agency. Um, so I really started to pick up the e-commerce side and I just, I really love that. Well, you're working on Magento in those days and it was uh, like Magento one. So for all those Magento yeah. users, you'll know what that was like. It was really hard. Um, and then from there, I actually took a contract working with Pacific Brands. Now, if, uh, the Australians out there that know Pacific Brands was one of Australia's largest companies and it owned brands like Bonds, uh, Hard Yakka, King J, all these other sort of stubbies, all these really famous Australian brands. And so I was taken on board to help them build their, part of the e-commerce business for Pacific Brands. So that was really exciting. And I sort of treated that like my apprenticeship in e-commerce. So I was thrown into the big league straight away. Uh, so I worked there for a couple of years. Uh, so I was working in in sort of in brands at this stage. And then uh, from there, I moved over to a company called Petstock. And that is a, uh, a pet retailer, over 150 stores. And they were just having an emerging e-commerce business there. So I worked with them and helped them turn from a very small e-commerce business into a very, very large e-commerce business. And that was really super exciting because not only did we do the e-commerce side, but help with the omni-channel and retail side of things as well. So I got a real good, you know, insight into like click and collect and, you know, shipping from stores and all that really cool uh, high-end enterprise stuff. Uh, then I had a quick stint at a brand called Twexu, uh, which is a activewear brand here in Australia. I was a global e-com manager there. And what we did was we looked after all the entire globe's e-commerce. So North America, Asia, Europe, Australia, uh, everywhere. And so I ran the team that helped grow that. And then my final uh, job working for someone was at a company called Superdry, uh, which is a clothing brand, a really popular clothing brand in, in the UK and the US and, and even in Australia. Um, so I was the head of e-commerce there and same story. They had a small brand, a small e-commerce presence, and I grew it up uh, to be a really big e-commerce presence. So what I realized over that period was I was really good at taking small businesses or small e-commerce stores and turning them into really big e-commerce stores. And then I thought, well, what if I just did this for myself? And uh, so I bought an e-commerce business uh, off Flipper for less than $10,000 and uh, basically applied what I'd learned in all those brands and blew it up just like I did for them, for myself. And so that was really fun, really exciting. And I was able to take everything I learned in my apprenticeship and apply it to my own business. And, uh, and that's sort of what I do now is run that store. I've got another store that I run as well. Um, and then I work with, with many founders and do the same thing with them. Yeah, awesome. That's an incredible experience. Um, do you just want to touch a little bit on how you go from managing such large stores to then going back to basics and probably bootstrapping your own brand? Yeah, uh, it's a really good, good, good question. So 
I just wanted to put my money where my mouth was. You know, it's uh, it, during my tenure at those brands, that's when I was ranked the top 50 in e-commerce. So I was ranked the top 50 in e-commerce twice for Superdry. And then yeah. my biggest uh, achievement was when I was ranked, ranked the top 50 in e-commerce for my own brand, which was Fight Gear Direct. Uh, but I really, when I was working at Superdry, I had this inkling of, you know, I've done this a while for a while now. Surely I could try it for myself. Um, and so, yeah, I just pulled the pin and bought this store and thought, well, uh, I think I can make something of this. It's missing a few elements that I know it needs. And yeah. so I just sort of put those elements in place. And then, yeah, before I knew it, you know, we're doing six figures a month pretty quickly. And we grew it, I think in the first year, it grew about 690% in revenue. So <laughs> it actually grew phenomenally fast, uh, which was which was a lot of fun, a lot of hard. It was quite hard, but it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I know there would be a lot of people out there possibly looking to get into e-commerce or even start a business so they don't have to start completely from scratch. What are some of the key things you looked out for when looking to acquire a business? Yeah, good one. So I looked uh, in a niche that wasn't overly saturated. So the niche that we were in was, uh, it's a sporting niche, but we sell boxing gloves and Muay Thai and martial arts equipment that are specific to people who do sparring and, and combat sports. So it, was, it wasn't an oversaturated niche um, and it wasn't overly sophisticated from an e-commerce perspective. So we had room that we could we could compete really well. So yeah. that was the first thing I looked at was, is it a, is it a niche that has a big total um, addressable market? And is it one that I'm, I'm sort, of, sort of familiar with? So I was a little familiar with that, that space. And is it one that I think I can penetrate and do good things? I'm like, who's my biggest competitor? Do I, can I out, out compete them, right? And so all those boxes were ticked. The other thing I looked at was what opportunities does this store have that they're currently not realizing? So, you know, are they using all the traffic channels that they could use? Uh, how long has the site been around for? Does it have some SEO value or can it have more SEO value? How big is their data, uh, the customer list? How in demand are their products? So I sort of looked at those things. And if any of those I thought I could work on, I would go for it. Um, and then the other part was, you know, how easy uh, is it for me to continue to run this with a small and lean team? That was that was important yeah. for me. I wanted to make sure that I don't have a huge team. Uh, you know, currently now we only have sort of four people that help run this business and it works really well. Um, and I don't see any more coming on anytime soon. I think we can double, triple, potentially even quadruple the business with this this size, size team. Um, but yeah, there's, they're the main things I look for is, you know, uh, total addressable market, uh, is there opportunities that I can explore and, you know, does it need a big team to run or not? And then that helps me look into it a little bit further. Yeah, for sure. Completely makes sense as well. And you spoke about growing so fast in that first year. What are some of your primary traffic sources or how did you manage to grow it so quickly? Yeah, we basically looked at our product profile. So the previous owner did a really good job of the store, uh, but didn't really expand the product range, didn't have good depth in product, you know, just really sort of had a really small product range. So the first thing we did was we went and got new suppliers on board. So we signed up brands like Adidas uh, and Punch, which is a really big brand uh, that sells uh, these products. And we expanded our product range pretty quickly. And just by putting those products in gave us a little bit more authority in market when you have such big brands that people realized that was our first point of call. So we extended our product range. Um, so we went from being, you know, sort of 200 products to 600 products. So we, we, we increased it a lot, which was, which was really yeah. good. And at that stage we ran sort of a hybrid dropshipping model. So it was really easy to do that, right? We were shipping directly from suppliers. And so we could test okay. products really easily. Um, that was the first thing. Then we looked at our different traffic channels. So one of the biggest ones that worked for us was Google ads, uh, went really hard on Google ads and that worked 
really well. It was in the days where smart shopping was really popular and mm -hmm. that helped us get a lot of cut through and really take, take market share pretty quickly. Uh, once we did that, then we were growing our email list. That was a really big one because we knew if we were acquiring the customers, we wanted to keep them and be able to repeat, get repeat purchases from them. So our email strategy was a really core one, all while building out our SEO strategy. So we call that the traffic trifecta. So we think about uh, how do we get people that we pay for? Because that means we get sales straight away. Then how do we take uh, that person's customer information, keep it inside so that we can continue to market to them for free effectively? Uh, that's where you get customers, not as quickly, but you get them consistently, which is really good. And then the final part of the trifecta is organic traffic. So that's through SEO and social media. Um, a lot slower to get sales, but it's one of those things that's like planting a tree. You continue to water it, you'll continue to grow. And now our SEO traffic, we rank for some really amazing keywords now at number one. So we're probably getting 30 to 40% of our revenue now is from SEO traffic, which has took us a while to get there. It's probably three years now but all the work we put in up front made the difference. So yeah, that's how we think about it. Yeah, and I know you flex a bit across your socials about not having to spend exorbitant amounts <laughs> of money on paid ads. Yeah. So some of your key strategies there is SEO and email. Do mm -hmm. you have any like quick little hacks that you could possibly share when it comes to your SEO strategies? Uh, yeah, quick hack I think would be, oh, one of the things that people, let me let me reframe it. One of the things that people forget about is making sure that they optimize the pages in its entirety. So often they'll just do optimization of the headlines and of the, the text on the page. But what people don't do is they don't optimize the images for the keywords, they don't optimize the alt tags, they don't optimize the image names. Uh, these are all things that help rank because if you think about search engines now, they're not just about text-based search engines. When you type something in now, what comes back? You get videos, you get images, you get recipes or depending on the structure of the data. So the quick hack is uh, rename your images to match the keyword, put alt tag ins to match the keyword, and then also look at structured data. That's a really important part of structured data. Um, and I did do a video on my TikTok recently about using structured data uh, and one on YouTube with a bit more detail. So that goes into in super detail for anyone that wants it. Yeah, cool. And then what about some of your organic strategies of, well, like, are you posting across every platform? Have you dialed in, say, TikTok, for example? Or uh, To be honest, we're not heavy on organic right now. So one of the things about this business is we don't actively do the sport uh, as much as probably some of our competitors. So we don't have the ability to create content as easily in this category. And sometimes when you sell products, that you know, uh, you're just selling them because it's a category that you think has opportunity. Um, it's a lot harder to actually create content on those. In saying that though, we have recently just hired an ambassador in, uh, in our business and they are in that space and we're currently getting them to create content for us. So they're currently doing short form reels for us. They're doing some images and some graphics um, and some photography for us. And we'll be using that across all our platforms. So we'll probably hit TikTok, Instagram and YouTube really hard. And then we'll mm -hmm. leverage that content across our own platforms as well. Yeah, awesome. That sounds really good because, uh, and your paid strategy, have you scaled that up now since you found that it was working? Or have you sort of just relied on those SEO and email marketing strategies? No, so we the paid strategy is still super important. Uh, but what it means is you use paid to get your first time customer. Okay. Yeah. And then you bring them into your funnel. So if we can get more first time customers that come into our funnel or, or land in our world, then it means our lifetime value is going to go up. And that means that we can spend more upfront to get a new customer if we can make sure that we're retaining them. 
Um, so yeah, we're definitely continually increasing our spend on our paid uh, daily almost now, just to get those more first-time customers. But we only do that because we now know what our lifetime value is. If we didn't know what our lifetime value is, it'll be a lot harder. And it's hard to know lifetime value for starter brands because they don't have the history. Whereas now we've got sort of three years of trading, we sort of know exactly how much we can spend on our first customer because we know the likeliness of them uh, shopping again with us. Yeah, for sure. And with your um, your coaching clients, so these are people that are starting their own e-commerce stores, what are you telling them to do in the beginning stages? Yeah, exactly the same strategy we used on Fight Gear Direct. They will buy the customers first, so we have to pay for customers to start with. Um, we look at a, the, the metrics, though, of the unit economics. I'll start that again. We look at the unit economics for that customer though, uh, because we want to make sure that even though the first customer does cost you money, we want to make sure it's profitable. So we look yeah. at things like what's your gross margin going to be? How much have you got left to spend on marketing and making sure we don't cap out too much on that. Because what a lot of people do is they'll do a ROAS and they'll say, I'm getting a two or three X ROAS on, on this sale, but actually it's an unprofitable sale. And if they don't know how to get the customer back, then their business is going to go into decline pretty quickly. So with our coaching clients, what we do first is we work out the unit economics, work out how much they've actually got to spend on marketing, and then we can work out our ROAS target or our CPA targets based on what their margins are. So this is often why you'll hear coaches talk about making sure that your gross margin is as big as possible because the bigger your gross margin is, the more you've got to spend on marketing. If you've got a really tight gross margin, then you don't have enough to spend on marketing and you'll, you'll just continue to lose money. Yeah, it's especially hard with those tight margins. Me being a paid advertiser, I'm like, if you don't have margins like above 50% at least, yeah. it's like really hard to actually take you on as a client because you know, once you start actually advertising, the client's going to come back and be like, hey, you're producing what looks to be really good results. But at the end of the day, I'm not seeing that transfer into my bank account. And yeah. it's because you're just cutting too far into your margins. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it is super important. Um, and I don't think a lot of beginners actually like understand how important it actually is to understand those unit economics. And it's like the most important thing you could possibly do when Absolutely. running a business. 100%. And then I think the thing is about forecasting when the second purchase of that customer is going to be, it's really, really important. So uh, I was at a conference last week, which was an online, um, an invite only conference for premium pure play stores. And one of the stores we talked to was they said they actually don't see profit until their third customer. No, it's their third purchase of the customer, I should say, uh, which is really interesting because I've got clients that are competing in that same category and they're trying to get um, profit on the first purchase. But if they're playing with these big companies that aren't waiting, that are waiting until the third purchase, it gets really challenging for smaller brands because mm -hmm. how do they get to the third purchase and how can they actually sustain their business financially like that? So definitely having margins up front makes it a lot easier. Yeah, for sure. And some of those brands are crazy. Like imagine not making a dollar until like, a customer's third purchase. Yep. Now, I'm sure that would cause some cash flow issues as well. And yep. it's probably some Absolutely. really stressful times. Uh, so if you can, uh, <laughs> definitely work on your margins, talking to logistics and stuff like that to improve it in any way you can. Obviously, shipping's gone through the absolute roof over the last couple mm -hmm. of years and has destroyed small business a lot. Uh, but yeah, to be working on those margins is super important. Cool. So with your coaching clients, what else, what are some current strategies you're using? Is there anything in particular that you're teaching, say, over the last few weeks? 
Yeah, the last few weeks we have been. That you're seeing. Yeah, the big the big trends that we're seeing is focusing on our clients being a content first business. Okay, so often or probably if previously everyone had sort of been product first business, which you need to be product first. But if we can match product and content together, then we have a much better scenario. Because if you think about what people do on the internet now, <clears throat> actually the internet's always been this way. Um, what people do is they just consume content, right? Whether it's written content from a blog or whether it's visual from YouTube or whether it's on Facebook or TikTok or, or wherever, right? We're all just consuming content. So what we want to make sure is that our content is going to be in front of them. And that content isn't always advertorial or ad specific content. It, we look to having it as educational, entertaining, inspiring, and then we might sell. Okay. So we want to think yeah. about our content that way. So all our coaching clients right now are focused on creating a content uh, creating a content flywheel. So I'll start that again. So all our clients right now are focused on creating a content flywheel, which is a framework that we put together. And that's using sort of short form video content and then amplifying that across all platforms. So I'll give you an example. Let's just say we created a short form video of a product. We will have a hook, we'll have a process, we'll have a, you know, a pain point and we'll have a call to action. But what we would do with that is, is we'd film the video but we would also then amplify that across all the channels. So we might turn that video into a carousel for our Instagram. We might turn it into a written blog post for our blog site. We might turn it into an email to be uh, emailed out to our customers. And then we might even amplify it with ads. So we're using this one piece of content we're amplifying across everywhere. And that's the content flywheel that we use in our program. And we're getting super good results for that because that actually ties into the three traffic sources that we talk about, right? It plays into paid because we're amplifying ads, pays into organics, yeah. we're creating blog posts and it creates uh, email content for us. So content first businesses is a strategy that we're doing now and it's working really, really well. Yeah, and something for my clients that I'm always asking for is content, content, content. Yeah. Like you can never <laughs> get enough of it. Uh, yeah, so that's super important. So. And with the, in those content strategies, are you promoting people get their face into the videos more or find somebody in their team that can doing like day in the life or behind the scenes? I think TikTok's really changed the game in that area. Yeah, we have a whole heap of different types of videos we recommend. Some of them are talking head videos, which is like the ones you just talked about. Some of them are just, you know, flat lays or product only videos. Some of them are like founder stories. Some of them are like, you know, us versus them, you know, they could be a day in the life or get ready with me, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah. So we recommend a whole wave of different content, not just a single style. We actually give them a framework to use, which helps them decide what sort of content to use and when, um, because if you just have the one style of content for, for a brand, uh, it gets pretty boring pretty quickly. But the other thing yeah. is if it's overly salesy and overly product led, then you don't get the engagement. And some of the biggest TikTok brands that have taken off have always been founder driven TikTok channels, um, not product driven TikTok channels, because at the end of the day, people buy from people. And if they don't know who it is that's saying the brand, they're just going to think you're this big corporation that is not going to trust you. So we encourage people to get behind the camera as best as possible. Look, you don't have to, we just find you get much better results that way. Yeah, once you, and once you scale that personal brand as well, you have that forever. Even if you do sell the business or you move mm -hmm. on to another thing, then you still have that personal brand. And attention is money in this day and age. Yeah, and I think if you, what I spoke about before with my brand Fight Gear, where we're not necessarily um, proponents of the sports, 
we have been able to leverage people who are and make them our face, if that makes sense. So we'll start to see that over the next few months anyway, as we roll that out, because we knew we couldn't actually, um, because we knew that people, when they seen us try and do the sport, we wouldn't look authentic. And I'll tell you a little story about one brand I worked for. Um, it was a, a brand that sold workwear, like the workwear that tradies wear. And um, they spent, oh, would have been $100,000 on this, on this marketing campaign. And it was a video of this uh, a TVC, a t television commercial of this tradie with this big pneumatic drill. And he was on this massive rock and he's drilling this, this thing in here, this pneumatic drill. And it was this beautiful thing with all this smoke coming off and these rocks flying up. And it was a cinematic extravaganza, like it looked amazing. However, yeah. because the person that was scripting it, filming it, the, the models, the talent, all that sort of stuff, didn't know what they were doing. Um, the minute a tradesperson who knew how to use that tool looked at it, they said, they don't have it plugged in. Like it wasn't plugged in. But this, they spent $100,000 on this entire campaign and yeah. uh, the, it was just completely flawed. Every trade looking and said, this is fake. Why would I believe them? So yeah. it's good to be authentic and be real. Don't try and be fake. And I think that's what we learned was if I went out there and started to, to preach about some sort of box, I'm not a boxer, I'm a martial artist, so I do know the space. But if I was to try yeah. and teach boxing, it's not my space. But if I went to try and do it, they'd say, well, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And then you'd lose credibility. So it's important that if you are going to put yourself in front of the camera, that you are authentic and you're credible because you are representing your brand at the end of the day. Um, and if you're not proud or credible of your own brand, then maybe you shouldn't be running it. There's also the other part. Yeah, for sure. And the comments can get uh, hella aggressive or controversial yeah. as well. Like if you go into a comment section and it's like a house inspection or oh. maybe it's an apprentice doing some work or something like that, it can yeah. be ruthless in those comments. And yeah, they'll destroy Absolutely. you pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Cool. And how are you currently using the AI revolution at the moment? Shopify come out and announce a pretty big update the other day. Mm -hmm. And how are you using ChatGPT for your clients, your coaching, and even in your own business? Yeah, we're using it a couple of ways. So uh, I guess the first and the easiest way that probably most people are using it now is we're using it for for copy on our website. So we're using it for product descriptions, SEO descriptions, everything like that. The key though to it is not just copying and pasting the description out of a chat GPT. Um, we would then run it, we, we call it washing the content. We might run it through uh, a tool that, you know, changes the content so that it, you know, isn't, isn't AI readable. So, you know, we can detect or AI detectable, I should say. Um, I'll, I might say that part again, if that's okay with you, if you want to cut that. Yeah, bit that's out. fine. Yeah. Uh, so we use ChatGPT quite extensively, predominantly for things like product descriptions, for writing blogs, uh, and writing collection descriptions. But one thing that we make sure we don't do is that we don't just copy and paste it out of ChatGPT and paste it into our website because that can actually be detrimental for SEO because there's AI detection tools out there. And, and if we think about it, right, if you think about how, how AI is taught, it consumes all this content and then it spits it back out to you, right? So if the internet is being fed with AI content over time, then we're actually feeding the AI its own content and AI doesn't like that. And Google's Bard is very similar. They won't actually um, ingest AI content because they don't want to learn from itself because it's yeah. self-deprecating. Um, so that's one thing. We use it for content. That's, that's really important. Um, we're also now using it for ideas. So that's always a big one for us is, you know, we have this social calendar and this is the topic we want to talk about. Give us 15 video ideas and it will help us build that out and we'll help build out a social calendar. And that will be one of them. Uh, we're using it to try and come up with short form video scripts. So we plug our framework that we've got into ChatGPT and we use that to help us write our video scripts. And that's been pretty good as well. 
So we're using it just sort of as an assistant for now. Um, we are seeing some really interesting tools around data analysis and we're playing around with that now. So throwing in sort of, you know, some sales numbers in there, some uh, merchandising numbers in there and trying to learn a bit more about the data because one thing, you know, when I'm now in a small business, I don't have the, the benefit of like data analysts and business analysts yeah. that I had in my bigger teams. Um, so being able to use ChatGPT to do that's gonna be a game changer for us. It's not out yet, but I know it's super close. Um, so that's one thing that I'm waiting for it to come by. Um, and then the final that's one, sort of, um, you go, sorry, go. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, the sort of what Shopify is releasing at the moment is that integrated AI into the systems to give you <laughs> sales forecast, or maybe you've had a down week over the last month and you, or down week over the last month, maybe you've had a down month and you go to the AI and be like, hey, I'm not sure why we haven't really changed anything in the business and AI will spit back, hey, the industry is actually down due to the weather outside. Maybe it's not snowing enough to sell ski gear or something like that. So I think it's going to be pretty powerful and yeah, it's going to revolutionize the space. 100%. Yeah, that was that sidekick uh, announcement that was yeah. put out there. One thing that one of my clients is doing really well, uh, which I, I know this is why I love having coaching clients, because I learn just as much from them as they do from me. Um, yeah. He's actually built out every uh, multiple different chats for different roles in his business. And what he's done is he's trained each of the roles to ask some questions. So he has one who's his marketing manager. And he's, he's you know, trained that that little chat bot um, in ChatGPT to understand everything about his business, his marketing, what doesn't work, what works. And then now every time he has an idea, he asks his, he asks his marketing manager via chat and he's finding that really, really powerful. And then he leveled it up one more and he's now using it. He's now got a business partner who is his ChatGPT business partner. And he asks him business related questions or him or her, or they, I don't know what, yeah. what, <laughs> what, what they are, uh, but he asks the ChatGPT um business related questions and he has someone to bounce ideas off and i find that really really powerful uh it's it's an interesting way to use it so i think sidekick for shopify is almost going to be like that for e-commerce entrepreneurs yeah it's going to be game changing and once you can train a chatbot to maybe learn everything about your store then it can mm -hmm. pretty much take over customer service emails as well which is an absolute time drainer for small business owners I don't, I don't know how many times somebody comes, like I send them a resource and I'll be like followed up with them a couple of days. How, hey, how'd you find this? And they're like, oh, I've been so caught up with doing this, this and this. But AI is just going to free up so much time. And maybe owners won't even know what to do with themselves. And <laughs> they that might get, get to this stage where they're like, oh, I used to spend all my time on emails, but how do I actually go back into working on the business instead of in it? And I think that's going to be super powerful for small businesses over the coming year or two. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So you don't want to, I think you mentioned that you had a speaking event coming up as well. Do you want to touch on some of those gigs? Yeah. So, um, Luckily enough, I've been in the industry for quite a while and I have a good network. Uh, and obviously, you know, we, you would have seen some of my content out there. So we're, we're putting a lot of content out there. So uh, Online Retailer is an event that happens once a year and it's probably one of Australia's largest events for online retail and it's where all the, the massive brands go. So I'm, uh, I'm speaking there on Thursday this week, uh, which is gonna be really cool. And uh, talking about how to grow your email list uh, to generate revenue of business. So uh, looking at some pretty interesting strategies on not just having a pop-up on your website to grow your email list, but some other really cool strategies on how you can grow your email list and then turn it into money in your business. Uh, as we move forward in you know, the future, uh, first-party data is going to become really important. So um, 
first party data is the data you own yourself. Whereas in the old days, we relied heavily on third party data, like Facebook data and Google data, and that's all going away. So owning your data in email and SMS and things like that is going to be super important. So I'm pretty pumped about to talk about something like that. Yeah, cool. And what about into the future? What do you see the space doing over the next few years? And maybe you have a controversial opinion on that? Uh, in the e-commerce space, you mean? Yeah, e-commerce space, yeah. Yeah, look, I think there's going to be a continually drive. Um, I think in the future, there's going to be a huge drive for D2C businesses to come more to the forefront. So Australia is still a little behind on that. We have a, a big wholesale market right now. So uh, if I think about my business right now, we sell other people's brands. And what we're seeing is a huge shift for the brands that I sell to go direct and compete directly with their resellers. Uh, and we've definitely seen that over the last five to 10 years, but that's going to become more prevalent. So people that sell other people's products are going to have to move into their own branded products. That is a big one. Mm -hmm. um, but the biggest thing that I think is going to change is the ability to scale is going to be a lot harder because the amount of costs that are coming into a business. So if I think about that example I gave you earlier, where we've got businesses now that aren't looking to make a profit until the third sale, yeah. uh, then how are we going to scale a business if we're an emerging brand? So um, knowing your margins and knowing that you have a product that is able to be purchased multiple times or you have other products that people can buy from you is going to be a game changer. Lifetime value is really the core, going to be the core metric. So uh, if we think about five years ago, it was all about ROAS, you know, then it became all about, you know, uh, MER, now it's all going to be about lifetime value and making sure that we can extract more value out of the same uh, customer. Yeah, so it's going to be much harder for small businesses to yeah. start because the ones that exist already, uh, they're already growing and they're still going to be growing uh, so, and getting bigger and bigger, taking up, uh, spending more budgets on advertising, producing more content with the power of AI because they can yeah. just go to ChatGPT and go, oh, create five different hooks for this video right. and there's another five pieces of content they can post out over the <laughs> next month. So, that's, yeah. yeah, it's going to be very hard. And I think... Uh, creating or starting a personal brand now if you do have a store uh, mm. and trying to sell it that way as a personal brand's sort of influence, mm -hmm. uh, then you got to be much more effective in growing one, your own audience, but your own store because a big corporation doesn't have somebody talking to the camera each and every day and building those relationships. And as you said before, it's people buying from people. Yeah. Yeah, I think the other game changer in the industry is definitely, well, it's not a game changer. Let me say that again. I think the other big shift that's going to happen in the industry is the death of the media buyer. And this is a little controversial in the sense that agencies are going to become less relevant for their technical skill set and expertise. What will become more relevant is the creative. And what we're finding is that the AI in all the ad tools now is a lot more effective than a team of media buyers. So we yeah. can throw content into Facebook now um, using the dynamic content testing tool and we can just throw dynamic content in there. And what happens is the AI will basically tell us whether our content is good or bad because it's gonna go out and put it in front of the people that it thinks it's gonna like it. And if they like it, they'll like it. If they don't, they don't, and it will kill it straight away. So if we think about Facebook ads in the past, it all used to be about choosing the right audience and finding the right people yeah. and doing it that way, that's completely gone. We're now going broad and it's the creative that's going to find the right audience. So that's going to be the big game changer. And, you know, the skills that we had in Facebook three, four years ago are gone. Uh, the same thing has applied in Google. We can say it's performance max. That's all about throwing 
the, the content in and letting the AI do the work and then just using content to find the audience, not using the audiences, if that makes sense. So that's probably yeah, the, that biggest, the biggest one that I think is, is going to be a game changer for the industry for sure. Yeah, you're throwing some shade at my service. But I know, I, I, I wasn't going to say it, but I'm like, I have to because uh, it's, no, it's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah I, I'm seeing the exact same thing and I feel like I'm becoming more of a project manager each and every day rather than a media buyer. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to position or shift my services to suit that need as well. So instead of spending hours trying to hack the ad account, I'm spending more time on creative and project management or helping in other areas of the business rather than all my time yeah. spent in Facebook. Uh, so yeah. yeah, I definitely agree with that. And uh, like Advantage Plus campaigns at the moment are absolutely crushing it. And there's pretty much <laughs> next to no effort needed to make one of those work at the moment you do need good creative and copy yep. uh, but other than that like it's not hours trying to find the right audience interest or whatever no, so yeah exactly. i totally agree with your point yep. there even yeah. though you'll throw shade at me i know <laughs> i was i wasn't going to talk about it because i know that's what you do but it's reality right that's what's going to happen yeah, uh, no, it's good. It's good. Well, do you have any other ending thoughts or any other controversial opinions that you want to throw out there before we jump off today? Look, I think for any emerging stores, the main thing they need to think about is being consistent. Okay. And try just stick, stick the, the main thing they need to think about is being consistent and stay the course. Okay. I always think e-commerce is a marathon and, you know, I've been in it for what, what did I say? 13 years? I don't know. There's around that time. I'm trying to forget how old I am. But um, what I'd noticed over that time, there was not quick successes. It took us years to get from, you know, a half a million dollar business to a $50 million business, right? That's not something that happens overnight. Even that's a big, that was a big jump and we had lots of money that we could throw at it. But even smaller businesses like the growth that we had out of my business still took a cut. Like the first year was a huge growth. The second year was a little bit harder, right? Um, but it is definitely about being consistent and not always getting distracted by the shiny, new, exciting tool because the foundations are the things that always work. And if you get the right traffic, you've got the right product and you give amazing service, then your business is going to do well no matter what. Um, it's just that's just really important just to stay consistent and, and not feel like, you know, it's not working. Just keep trying because one day you'll become successful if after years and years of hard work. That's what I've learned. Yeah, I think it's important to keep putting one foot in front of the other, mm -hmm. keep moving forward. And there's so many things you can be working on, especially with the power AI. You don't need to be an expert in absolutely anything. Just go out and fail forward. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on today. You shared a wealth of knowledge and yeah, it was great having you on. Thanks, Lucky. It was awesome. Cool. All right, no worries. I'll just keep this recording in case we yeah. discuss anything else quickly. Maybe we can yeah, cool. chop it up in a clip. Um, <laughs> but yeah, how did you find that? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's always, um, you know, I, I have in the back of my mind the things I want to talk about and then sometimes they just don't come out. But um, yeah, but yeah, no, it's good. What about you? Was there enough value there for you to share with your uh, with your audience? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll be able to... Um, well, we're reducing the amount of clips where... Um, producing from each podcast because we're doing about 15 but i found it to be too much so i'm sort of revamping the socials at the moment mm -hmm. and we're going to put a lot more effort into producing like higher quality clips yeah uh, so i think that's going to be really good and yeah you should be able to find some value from that um yeah, 
but yeah, it was a little bit rusty. Probably both of us coming back <laughs> off holidays as well, stuffed up a few times. I feel but... I was yeah, I agree with that. But uh, I'm sure you can cut bits in and out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was uh, taking some timestamps as we're going along as well. Yeah. but yeah, I yeah. think that was a really good podcast and lots of value shared. And then yeah, even like I wanted to focus a bit more on um, thought provoking questions or yeah. like those controversial opinions that you shared. Uh, a bit better for social media, stronger Agreed. books and that sort of thing, yeah. rather than rambling on all the time and i'll yep. also try not to ask long-winded questions either so i didn't do that too much <laughs> yeah no I, I agree it's um it's it's interesting because i was thinking in the back that these are going to be short and not not a podcast which meant yeah. while well, sort of recorrecting myself every time um but yeah it was yeah well, i've never done one with like, traction where, at the moment what's that sorry uh, the shorts, like the short form content is the bit that gets the most traction. Yeah. They're the ones that gets the views. And then people who are actively engaged or want to go learn more, then they'll go watch the long form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah 100%. People only like the snippets form. anyway, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's good to post the long forms up as well. Uh, so we'll cut that up for you. Um, yep. The turnaround time has been about a week. So we'll try That's to cool. get that over to you next week. Um, yep. And then... Uh, as soon as it's downloaded, uploaded to Google Drive, I'll send it over to you. You and yep. your team can do whatever you want with it. Uh, yeah, but yeah, for our clips, it'll probably take about a week. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, once you.